I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily agree. win. Go for a short it is time to get bricks This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be I shouldn't be up here. What I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question... Oh, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? At last, it seems that some Tory politicians feel a tinge of regret for spending their time on other jobs to bring in extra money rather than concentrating on their main one. So, Sir Geoffrey Cox will make a heartfelt apology to the law firm that pays him over £1,000 an hour because he'll have to admit that he does also pop into Parliament for 20 minutes a year to make ends meet. The MP Julian Smith will declare it has been a deep honour to earn £144,000 for a few hours' work advising energy companies. I am deeply sorry that I neglected my duties to them by also moonlighting as an MP. Some Tory MPs suggested it can be really grim to live on the MP's salary of £82,000, and this is why they're forced into taking second jobs. Otherwise, how will they put food on the table? So I'm sure they'd approve of a change in the law, which meant that anybody earning £82,000 or less would be allowed to work somewhere else while still being paid for the first job that they don't turn up to. So, if you work in Morrison's, you'll be allowed to spend all week advising an investment bank registered in the Virgin Islands, and then you can nip back to the checkout for 20 minutes a month to charge someone for three tins of baked beans. And then you can also put in for a few thousand pounds worth of expenses for essential items, such as a flamingo cleaner and a submarine. And Geoffrey Cox was using his parliamentary office to do his second job. So, if you work in River Island, you could use the counter for your second job. Excuse me, David, what are you doing? I'm filling in some trout, Mr Perkins. I've got a second job as a fishmonger. Don't worry, I'm, I'm trying not to get any fish oil on the jackets. Tory MP Andrew Rossendale insisted we should be cautious before criticising MPs who can't live on £82,000 as we shouldn't expect them to change their lifestyle and we should remember that they are human beings. And he was just as sensitive when he supported cutting universal credit, saying claimants often didn't need the money, they just like the extra £20. And in any case, it's not the same because those people aren't human beings. They're llamas and bits of polystyrene. It's touching how he wants to protect the lifestyle of people who don't have any money. If they spend all day cleaning an office for £8 an hour and then take their kids to a food bank, an extra £20 would disrupt that lifestyle. So Andrew goes out of his way to safeguard it because he cares. There have been suggestions that working mothers who need more money should also take on second jobs. They could be speed bumps, charging local councils to lay in the road all day to calm the traffic. They could grab a colander and stand at the end of a sewage pipe, catching the turds before they float into the sea. Or they could charge £30 a day to be a bouncy castle and be jumped on by Jacob Rees-Mogg's children at a birthday party. The Environment Secretary, George Eustace, actually said that working mothers who are struggling for money could 
work in abattoirs for extra cash. And this is the trouble with struggling working mothers. Too few of them are prepared to make ends meet by strangling a pig. The economic benefits would be huge because this would also solve the problem of lazy pigs who live off handouts of swill and rotten fruit rather than get off their trotters and do an honest day's work like Daddy Pig and Miss Piggy and Pinky and Perky. There are half a million pregnant women in Britain. What are their unborn babies doing? While their mums are working in the abattoir, their foetuses could be serving lattes in a cafe round the back rather than lazing around, sucking up amniotic fluid. And maybe Tory MPs should get jobs in abattoirs. They'd be brilliant at it because they'd make a sport out of it. Right, what have we got here to start with? Ah, a chicken. There you go, off you go. Come on, come on, come on. That's it. Don't forget to smear the blood on your cheek. Right, what have we got next? A cow. Off you go. We should be grateful that our hard-working MPs do at least give up 20 minutes of a year of their time when they could have been earning £2,000 an hour for attending a meeting because in that 20 minutes, they go into Parliament and vote to cut universal credit to ensure that our poorest citizens stay happy by being even poorer. What the fuck is going on? This week, in what has become a key part of Britain's cultural calendar, ITV announced the lineup for the latest series of I'm a Celebrity. Now, unfortunately, I'm not an expert on I'm a Celebrity, but luckily, we have with us someone who is George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Ant and Dick. Your woeful selection of so-called celebrities for the latest instalment of your pitiful light entertainment show illustrates nothing more than your propensity to denigrate the cognitive capacity of the ITV viewer. The inclusion of frivolous poppingies such as Richard Midley, Arlene Phillips and Naughty Boy demonstrates beyond contention that you have once again overlooked such important figures as Noam Chomsky, Nicolas Maduro, the illustrious president of Venezuela, Len McCluskey and Rula Lenskar. It is abundantly clear that Chomsky's analysis of the language of imperialism renders him eminently suitable for the task of locating a food token whilst his head is entombed within a transparent casket of rotting fish guts. That, Ant and Dick, if that is indeed the right way round, is why I shall continue my lifelong commitment to eschewing such populist spectacles and play no part in your tawdry tomfoolery. Although, in the event that someone drops out, I might be available. Now, as anyone knows who's listened to this podcast, or even if you haven't, it is impossible to know what the fuck is going on in the world without expert assistance. And I am honoured that this week we have with us Mr. Nick Hancock. Welcome, oh, sir. Oh, oh. The honour is all mine, Mr. Steele. The honour is all well, mine. Well, thank you. Now, marvellously, what the fuck is going on could very, very aptly describe the process whereby we're talking to each other now, because it's not been simple, has it? 
Well, no, it hasn't, because, you know, I am a dyed-in-the-wool, well, idiot, to tell you the honest truth. But I decided that, because obviously we're doing this remotely, that I needed to um, finally buy a laptop. I'm fine if my children are at home. I'm fine, because they have laptops, and they can make everything work. And all I have to do then is sit there and talk. So I went to buy a laptop yesterday, and I went to, you know, PC World or whatever it was, and I actually went in and I said, look... If you get decent commission, this is your dream day because I don't know anything about what I'm doing and I will be persuaded of nearly anything that you tell me. So, you know, fill your boots. So anyway, they got this laptop and I, at the moment I've seen it, I'm thinking, oh, God, it looks so difficult. So I, I booked myself a tutorial, okay, a tutorial. So it's 40 minutes and they'll show you how the laptop works. I'm like, now that's going to help. So he gets out this laptop out of the box and it doesn't turn on. It's broken, the first one he opens. And I said to him, well, that's not done my confidence any good at all because that's what I'd imagine would happen when I get home. So he has to go and get another one and he gets it and we get as far as put in your email address. So I'll put in my email address. This is step one, right? And it says put in your password. Wrong password. Okay, I'll try another email address. Wrong password. So I, I haven't managed to get into it at all. And I just said to him, look, I know this is a terrible thing to say, but can you just have it back and I'll go home now? <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so I just said, yeah, I've been so much happier. You know, I've, I've got people that can... I'll go to my friend's house. I am now at my friend's house. So I just said, well, I'm really, really sorry. And I gave him 20, gave him 20 quid for a pint and <laughs> went home and was just so appalled with myself that I'd failed so spectacularly at the first hurdle. Um, you know, I'm just frit. I'm frit of all of the stuff. I think I'm going to press a button and something just awful is going to happen. My trouble is I'm very much a thrower of things. <laughs> so if, and throwing technology is a really bad idea. Because then when you go and you go, uh, no, it isn't accidental damage. No, no, I'm fucking meant to do it. Trust me. But my son, he doesn't even find it funny anymore. He finds yeah, it really yeah, yeah. quite depressing. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him, I said, I'm having trouble. Things don't get delivered. I'm ordering things and they don't get delivered. He said, oh, let me have a look. Let me have a look. And he turned around to me. He said, you've done something that is actually impossible. This can't happen, but you've done it. He said, your default address is in Denmark. <laughs> He said, that's not even possible. You have an English and British email address and you're getting stuff sent to Denmark. You know, you have to put in a street name. I don't know. Right now, there's some Danish family with just piles of books and stuff. It's, it's another Stoke City oven glove, my darling. We already have nine. How many hands do you have? So, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to give up, really. <laughs> now, what the fuck is going yeah. on? Well, this in itself is a, is a geographical question. Oxbow Lake. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only answer to any geographical question. Uh, well, no, this is more of a sort of philosophical thing, really. So, Stoke, okay. is it in the north? Well, yeah, you're right. This is a philosophical question. I think philosophically, yes, it is. I think geographically, it's right on the cusp. Right. I think of Stoke as being more linked to the north than, 
you know, say Wolverhampton oh, yeah. or Birmingham. Well, now this is important because the part of the old HS2 railway business was that it was going to be part of levelling up and the Northern Powerhouse and all that sort of thing. And now it's sort of been mostly cancelled, which I think is very apt, actually, that a railway project is ridiculously expensive and then is delayed, then doubles in price from the ridiculously expensive start and is then cancelled. That's very apt for a railway project, I think. Yeah. But now, is it still going to be going to Stoke? No, 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 it was never going to go to Stoke. Right. Obviously, there was lobbying right at the very beginning of it. And also, this is billions of pounds to make your journey seven minutes shorter. Yes. Which I don't know how it's going to work. So, no, no, it goes to Crewe. It goes from Birmingham to Crewe, or indeed from Birmingham to Leeds, which it doesn't do anymore because they've cancelled that out. So, Stoke is basically, we don't get a station, okay, but we do get all of the work going through us and clogging up all of our roads, okay? And there's great big car parks for those enormous caterpillar trucks and things like that. So it's a little bit like someone's come around to your house, knocked on the door and said, well, I've got a bit of news for you here. We're going to give one lucky homeowner a complete makeover of their house. But it isn't you. However, can we drive our trucks through your garden? That's kind of what it's like. We get all of the hassle and none of the benefit. So are people in Stoke furious about this? People in Stoke are too exhausted to be furious about anything, to tell you the honest truth. Uh, No, I mean, it's just, it feels very much like being wiped off the map. (laughs) Stoke's like a high street shop. You know, no one's going to go there anymore. And you know, it's pointless existing. Oh, that's rich, Dad. Merva Tidfall, one of the very first series of the In Town shows, I went to Merva Tidfall. And it turned out that I think it was in the 1950s, if I remember right, there was a government actually did draw up plans to just abolish Merthyr Tidfall. <laughs> and they were just going to move the entire town. They just said it's gone too far. It's just rotten. We're going to move everybody out and just leave it desolate. Where the Tidville actually is a really dramatic place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. get there. Yeah, it was the fourth biggest town in Britain in the 1830s. It was an incredible place with all the iron and the pits and everything. And now it's just... When I was there, it was 50% unemployment. And then people get drunk. The first thing I did, I went into the library when I got there. It was drink. Well, 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 yes. It was about 11 in the morning and there was a bloke just shouting, absolutely shouting the library. Who the fuck are you? Fucking who the fucking hell are you? And then this woman, a very sweet woman, she said, um, "Excuse me, love, you can't shout in here. It's a library." And he was very polite. He went, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realise I was in a library." <laughs> Fuck, paralytic in the library at 11 in the morning. You know, he thought I was in the Weatherspoons. I must have took a wrong turn. I don't know to apologise. I wonder why there was all this shit here and no fucking lager. So I think we've sorted that, Nick. I think we've absolutely sorted. I don't know why they took so long trying to work out all the logistics of this HS2 thing. Now, there is an even more important question that we have to discuss. The Queen. Yeah. Now... She is said to be transitioning. This is a sort of statement made by whoever's in charge of the Queen. I'm quite worried about her. What do you reckon? She's transitioning to a new phase. That is the phrase that I like. She's going into a new phase in her life. And I just really hope that that phase is biting. You know you know how small kids go through a biting phase? Wouldn't it be brilliant if every now and again the Queen would just go... Ah! Just, 
they can bite people. It would be so pleasing. So Her Majesty's going through her biting phase at the moment. Oh, that would be glorious. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. On the news, Nicholas Witchell having to go. Buckingham Palace has issued in a statement that they apologise to the King of Norway for the rather large marks taken out of his arm. Yes, and, and we will be returning uh, his earlobe in the next six months. Although some people are saying it should be kept in the British Museum. Yes, because we'll look after it better. <laughs> look what he did. He got it bitten off. So I hope it's, it's either a biting phase or the other phase. I really hope she's going to go through her Ziggy Stardust phase. Oh, yes. Yes, her <laughs> yes, glam rocks phase. That would be great. Oh, bless her for that, yeah. And then she suddenly announced that it was ending after three years. Yeah. And she'll be the thin white queen instead. <laughs> yeah, I think she should do that. Or surprise all of us by d- dubstep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why she's so difficult to buy for at Christmas. Yes. I read uh, Owen Jones's book about the Jeremy Corbyn years of the Labour Party. And the, the bit that I remember more than anything else was the shadow cabinet had a meeting in which it was said, look, it is tradition that the leader of the opposition has to give Her Majesty a present on her birthday. And so they were sort of discussing what to do. And Jeremy Corbyn said, I'll give us some jam from my allotment. Right, so... Can you grow jam? Well, it was jam made from stuff, I don't think. I've got you. <laughs> <laughs> I've planted a tip tree. <laughs> I've put a little jam jar with a little bit of marmalade. I've watered it every day. <laughs> Fucking nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not a thing. I've written to Gardner's question time. They're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he'd made some, I don't know, a rhubarb. I think it was a rhubarb or something, some sort of jam. And so they went, oh, Christ. All right, Jeremy wants to give a jam. So the next day he came in with a jam. And, of course, it was very Jeremy Corbyn jam in a little jar with a little, sort of, you know, little thing with elastic band around it and a little label when he'd written rhubarb jam 2018 or whatever it was, Jeremy Corbyn's allotment. And they went, oh, that's what we're going to have to give her. And then he went out of the room and, and one of the others, Emily Thornbury or something, said... Oh, for Christ's sake, it's in an old Kenko coffee jar. Let's at least put it in a proper, <laughs> proper jar. So they took the top off to pour it into a, another jar. It was all full of mould. It was mouldy. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> the jam was all mouldy. You know, there was a case to be said he was trying to kill the Queen. <laughs> She'd have to declare that, you know, as well. Yeah. All gifts to the, have to be declared. <laughs> Mouldy. One jar mouldy rhubarb jam from Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. And then there'll be a statement from the palace says that the Queen is entering a new phase in which her head is down the toilet for the next four days. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Corbyn! <Yeah. laughs> uh, so now there is one final thing. This has been very, very well covered in the, the media outlets. Now, being a man who is so, so on top of all the latest technology, you'll understand this. There's a phone that can be used by dogs. Have you seen this? I saw something about it. Is it in the shape of a ball? Is it that one? Yeah, it's something like yeah. that. So it's a ball, and you leave it at home, don't you? So, so the dog can call out. Yeah. There are a number of questions that spring to mind immediately, I have to say. Basically, it's a spy ball, isn't it? So you can check on your dog as well. Oh, right, but the dog can call you, though, as well. Yeah, yeah, the dog can call you by playing with the ball, which apparently dogs do quite a lot, so that's going to be annoying. I don't know much about dogs. I'm going to be honest. I know we're a nation of dog lovers, but I don't know. Can dogs take out injunctions? 
because it seems to me that you know this is taking it too far. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they're bright though. Aren't they? They're supposed to be bright. I was one thing they'll probably call out. They'll dial out to Uber Eats and get like forty-five kebabs delivered and stuff like that. Or they'll start going on one of them premium lines and they'll get a, a poodle lying on a settee going, mm, "I'm lonely and I'm on heat." But then the dog's going to go. But I can't smell you. That's the point of these. I can't smell you at all. That's what I get out of it. Is the smelling. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Nick, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And also, something that we should give thanks to the gods, if there are indeed gods, of signals, satellite things, things that go around the world reconnecting us. To wit, we absolutely have to mention, there is a very fine podcast, of which I have intimate knowledge, that you are part of yourself. Uh, yes, well, you guessed it on it the other week. It's called The Famous Open Pitch, and it's with Chris England, and it's we've had great fun doing it. That's the, that's the compulsory plug. And obviously... There are grown-ups there that make it happen because if I was in charge of making it happen, you know, it would be well. One, it could go out in Denmark, and two, you wouldn't be able to hear anything anybody was saying. But yeah, yeah, thank you for that. It's called the famous sloping pitch. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for explaining. I feel completely at one now with what the fuck is going on in this world. <laughs> if only we could alert other people to our thoughts without several other people around us going, "You haven't turned it on." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick Hancock. Cheers, Mark. The British citizen Nazanin Sagari Ratcliffe is still being held in prison in Iran after five years on a daft and trumped-up charge of spying. Her husband has been on hunger strike to demand that the government does something to secure a release, such as paying Iran the £400 million that we owe them, which may be the real reason that they're holding her. Now, some people are understandably very angry about this, like this woman who I heard on a phone-in show. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. I've been reading all about this, you know, mezzanine Zaragi Ratcliffe woman. Now she wants to come over here at all. They all want to come here from these places. Her husband is already here and he won't even eat our food. I suppose he was waiting for falafels or whatever it is they eat. And who's paying for all that food he's not eating? The taxpayer, that's who. I saw him on the pavement outside the foreign office lazing around. Why have we got a foreign office anyway? We should have a British office. There's a foreign secretary, a Chinese embassy, Turkish baths, Swiss cottage, Canada water, Siamese cats. I mean, why does everything have to be for abroad? I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. And they say there's £400 million owed. Well... Why hasn't she paid it then? Anyway, how's she run up a bill like that? I suppose she's staying in one of them posh hotels. You know what they're like. The other day, I went to the airport and there was hundreds of them just coming off planes from all over the world, walking straight in here. All they had to do was show the passports. I said, look at you all here for handouts. They said... We've been on holiday. We're all back from Spain. I said, oh, yeah, any excuse? And they let you in. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. What the fuck is now, people of the podcast world, indeed, of the podcast community. In fact, I think we can say as much as there is now a what the fuck is going on community. 
there are a number of announcements because strangely occasionally I do venture out from behind this little podcast microphone to elsewhere the Mark Steele's in Town series is returning to the radio and then to BBC Sounds and to all the ways in which you can hear these things and that'll be coming out on December the 1st the first one there's three left over that they're programs that are started to write and then there was a global pandemic and that just was a minor obstacle when it came to recording them. And the last one was in the lovely neighbourhood of Walthamstow in East London, which recorded on uh, Monday this week. And that'll be coming out, I don't know. I think that's the one, the first one, not sure. But marvellously, here's a debate. Should we or should we not have been allowed to do this on the BBC? They thought not. So, <laughs> Walthamstow famously is in the postcode E17. The band, indeed, is named after this very postcode. And so they're very proud of this whole postcode thing. There's a restaurant there called Eat 17, and there's sort of all different 17 things there, as you can imagine. So I said, because I think it would be a good idea, there should be a barber's called Fleece 17, and a baker's called Yeast 17, and an undertaker's called Deceased 17, and a pet shop called B17 and if there was a police unit investigating crimes against children that should be called priest 17 that seems pretty incontestable to me anyway apparently we're not allowed to say that so that will be coming out the first the 8th and the 15th of December those programs will be going on and also I've got a book I wrote a book about my mad adoption story which if I try to sum it up in one sentence you'll just think I've made it up but turns out my natural father was one of Lord Lucan's best mates and was world backgammon champion, stuff like that. So that's going to be coming out as an audible book because these days books are not books. They're in the ether somewhere. Oh, and also a little announcement in French. Parce que je vais faire mes spectacles en français janvier prochain, 23 à Brighton, 28 à le Museum de Comedy, Museum of Comedy, Londres, Centreville. Peut-être au spectacle, je vais faire Boris Johnson en français, Grand Britannia, et le plus, le mieux, le mieux payé du monde, ipso factu, coitus. Interrupt us. So all of those things will be happening. You can buy a ticket. On peut acheter des billets de site web Club Comédie K O M D I A Museum of Comedy. Now, one of my favourite parts of the week is reading your Twitter messages. So Pipsos Four writes, "When is misogyny not misogyny?" The answer, and Pipsos Four answers his her own question when it's just coincidental that you're a psychopath and a woman oh okay (laughs) that's an interesting philosophical debate can you be a misogynist if you're a woman i think you could certainly be a psychopath if you're nadine doris i wonder if philosophers will discuss that if this was in france they probably would we are now discussing whether it is possible for nadine doris to be misogynist and psychopath and woman or is she just psychopath or does she exist it is not possible for such a creature of such appalling sentiments to actually exist in the real world. Uh, at Oitlander, I think that's how it's pronounced, it sort of looks like a Dutch word, says, allegedly Boris Johnson is suffering buyer's regret. Oh, he was overheard saying this. 
buyer's regret after his latest marriage. Do Tories normally buy their wives? And if so, where from? Is there a special shop in Chelsea? It would be really, really out of character if Boris Johnson went into some sort of long-term commitment such as a marriage, not really meaning it and only really thinking of himself and not of anybody else that was involved and then changing his mind and acting in a selfish manner. It's just it'd be very, very unlike him. So I can't imagine he will have said he suffered buyer's regret. But I don't know. I mean, what will happen at the end of this soap opera? I reckon Carrie Simmons probably will end up with Andrea Ledsom running a post office in Cornwall. Uh, and Andy at Idi Dinhell says, Andrew Marr is leaving the BBC. What the fuck is going on? That is... Andy at E.D. Dinhell, I commend you for probably the least apt fact to be followed by what the fuck is going on. <laughs> Andrew Marr, that's marvellous. That in the world where climate change is ripping us apart and the world is being run by people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson and Modi and bloody this madman in the Philippines and in the midst of all of this chaos, I really, really, honestly, I mean it, Andy at E.D. Dinhell, that you go, yes, but Andrew Marr is leaving the BBC. What the fuck is going on? Bless you for being so exercised about this particular item in the news. What the fuck is going on? The row over MPs' corruption certainly intensified this week, and we were hoping to have with us Chris Bryant, the chair of the Committee on Standards, to talk about it. But unfortunately, he's had to pull out due to a broken metatarsal. So instead, here's deceased cricketer Fred Truman. Corruption, I mean, don't talk to me about corruption. I mean, in my day, we had proper corruption. We had Lloyd George. He didn't muck about with his second jobs in Cayman Islands and what have you. I mean, he would sell you a knighthood for £10,000. And each time you bought one, you would get your loyalty card stamped. And after the fifth one, you became king. I mean, we were taught corruption at school. I mean, I remember one lad, uh, Billy Thwicket, he never went to a single lesson and he still got an A because he bribed the examiner. <laughs> he sent him a hamper of prostitutes at Christmas. I mean, these days you wouldn't get Geoffrey Cox going to the trouble of doing that. I mean, don't bother. I mean, uh, we had Lord Bocklington. I mean, oh, he was a lovely, lovely man. He opened the bowling for Yorkshire while he was an MP. He could not play cricket to save his life, but he would bribe the umpire when he shouted out that. The umpire gave the batsman out, LBW, and awarded his company a £500 million contract to provide handkerchiefs for the Spanish flu outbreak. I mean, <laughs> nowadays, I mean, because of Europe or whatever it is, I mean, they're not, they're not allowed to do that. I give up. Oh, what the fuck is going on? It is the time of week when I accept that I can't possibly work out what the fuck is going on on my own, and particularly not as I've now of an age that means I'm not really at one with what the younger generation think. So I'm lucky in that I bred someone who is able to keep me informed about all of these things. Elliot Steele. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And where are you at the moment then? I'm in Hereford. All right, this, this is where you are sometimes, where there's no signal and we have to defy physics to be able to talk like this. Well, yes. Now, what are the young people talking about at the moment then? This 
horrible thing in America. Yeah, Carl Rittenhouse. Yeah. So Carl Rittenhouse shot some people dead and now he's got off. Yeah, basically, he's like a OJ Simpson, but for kids who drink Monster Energy. Right. That's what he right. is. Like, you know how yeah. OJ, when people celebrated him getting off? Yes. It's basically like another version of that, except this guy definitely, definitely killed those people, such as the American justice system. They went, yeah, but what was his reasoning, you know? Yeah, their attitude towards murder is actually getting more pro it as the years go on. From OJ going, oh, we know he did it, but let's say he didn't. Now with this guy, they're going, well, he did do it, but let him off. And in 20 years' time, you'll get prosecuted if you haven't murdered anyone. Well, yes. But I think in America, like, I believe there was like a sort of GoFundMe for his lawyers. And a lot of like far-right backers started paying for his lawyers. So in America, if you have money, you can kill people. That's, that's kind of what it is, because you can afford lawyers like O.J. Simpson. But is this guy going to be the same, though? Is he going to be like a, a celebrity? Is he going to be sort of on American television and stuff? In the years, he'll have his own chat show. Yeah, he'll be like a George Zimmerman. Yeah, came like a hero of the far right. He was the guy who killed Trevor Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sold his gun. He did it with for like $100,000 or something. But this is like right. the wider problem of it is it comes like a left the right thing so like i'll be completely honest with the carl rittenhouse thing i think the judge was very sympathetic towards his cause i think he broke the law by bringing the gun over two state lines but then i think he was attacked by people and there is an argument that it was self-defense i don't know enough about the law to know exactly how you do it but one of the people he shot was a known pedophile and whatever side you're on that's hilarious but he didn't know it was a pedophile i know but you know what i mean you don't you, you don't can't know. allow murder you can't say right what we're going to do with murder we're going to change the law so if it turns out the person you murdered was a right bastard we'll actually give you your own chat show so that would really make the court case exciting. God, the jeopardy's gone up now. It's the mass shooting version of winning a hundred grand on a scratch card. You know, there's no skill to it, but you've accidentally hit the jackpot with that way. It's very hard to convict someone when they go, ah, uh, he did kill a known paedophile. Yeah, but he just shot them because he was a right-wing maniac. He didn't shoot them because it was a paedophile. Yeah, I don't agree with his methods, but like when you've killed a known, you know... I can see all the producers of this show currently head in hands, but I stand by that. I think <laughs> I think that one's quite funny. It spices up the case a little bit. You know, the prosecution was there going, oh, shit, one of them's a known pedophile. <laughs> like, you know, as soon as that news broke, the case came so much harder. I think he should be in jail, personally. I think he drove over two state lines with a gun. But the driving over two state lines with a gun isn't the problem. It's the killing people that's the problem. You know? I, yeah, but... Oh, that's right. I think he should be in jail because there's CCTV evidence that on the way to shooting people, he drove in a bus lane. There's no need for that. They could have made I mean... someone late for the demonstration so that they wouldn't have got shot, who may or may not have been a paedophile. But the fact that there's a possibility that they might have been means we ought to let... Well, there's no point in having any murder laws then. I think the kids are... F fucking idiot i think he's a menace i think he should be in jail right but i think the whole like broader picture of it is like a sign of how fucked that whole summer was people go out to protest and just start burning things down but they don't burn anything effective down well of course not it's a riot isn't it people don't sort of riot and go let's calculate where to set fire to something it's not productive. Yeah, yeah 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 but like with the car written house like the whole thing was just a clusterfuck. Like, my reason for saying he drove over two states, how much of a fuck do you have to give about a town that's two states over? 
to go and defend it. You've got to be filled with a level of right wing. We must defend this. If someone was like, oh, they're going to attack something two streets over, I'd go, oh, I'm not leaving the house to defend that. That's two streets away. It's nippy. But like, it's the problem when you allow 17-year-olds to buy AR-15s. That's what happens when you fill kids with this level of like right-wing nationalism, that they're being attacked, and you allow for this culture war that does and doesn't really exist to keep going on. So like, there's like a broader picture to this, that like everything about this is just horrible. Like from the justice system to the people uh, attacking Carl Rittenhouse to Carl Rittenhouse himself, everything of it is just like, oh my God, you would look at it and go, can't we do better than this as a society? Because you have these kids, look at in America, you have all these people playing dress up with guns and army. They want to shoot people and they're being given an excuse when one news channel is going, look, these people who are protesters are an attack on your sovereignty as a nation. And another news channel is going, these people who play in dress-ups as soldiers are an attack on the sovereignty of your nation. It's just pinning everyone against each other. Well, you may not be aware of it, but you're actually arguing a very similar point to the one that Bob Dylan made in his song Pawn in the Game, when there was a chap called William Sandsinger who murdered someone and was convicted, and he got a six-month sentence. Uh, It's actually quite similar in many ways. And then the song Pawn in the Game is it's, he's not the only one to blame, it's all the people who created it yeah. and all of that. Yeah, you've, you've made a very similar point, but you know, he made it rhyme <laughs> and played a harmonica in the middle. Yeah, look, I'm... You know, apart from that, it's very similar. Yes. Well, uh, I feel very much that I understand what's going on now in American society, whereas minutes ago I didn't have a clue. Thank you very much and give my love to Harryford. I will. Uh, if anyone wants to come see me uh, make it rhyme on stage when I thought it out, I'll be doing the Leicester <laughs> Comedy Festival on the 11th of February. Tickets on sale now. I know I've been promoting it on this podcast for a couple of weeks, but I was told I wasn't meant to be doing that because it wasn't officially on sale yet. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review. And if you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. We now have a website, whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk. And if there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTFisgoingonpod, at WTFisgoingonpod, and we will look at all the messages that you send. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Nick Hancock and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, Jane Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott, Matt and Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries. <laughs>